right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Thursday night, January 8, 2015. And this, of course, is the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which is a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. You want to try it? Go to Squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off that Squarespace start here start anywhere. So if you um, listen to the podcast often or regularly, you know that uh, the way I typically do it is we have a Monday podcast and a Thursday podcast. On Mondays, it's me and Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And then on Thursdays, it's typically me and some other guests from some other company. And I tell you all that because the schedule is going to have to change because um, I'm going to be traveling every Thursday morning uh, from New York City uh, back at home literally the rest of the season. That means I can't record a podcast or do much of anything because I'm going to be on an airplane and that seems like it would be uh, a disturbance for a- at least the surrounding passengers. So here's the new plan. Um, it's going to be me and somebody each Monday, whether it's uh, Mike DeCourcy or Rob Doster or any of the other people who have actually uh, joined me in the past. And then me and Sam and Matt are going to be together each Thursday night starting tonight, except Matt's not here right now because he's skiing. Is that true, Sam? He's actually skiing tonight. Um, he's not skiing tonight, but he's up there. He's traveling uh, to ski. Yeah, he's up there at some bar doing night court right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, hey, I can't. I, I remember when we used to share night court back in the day, and um, and I I can I've done night court from a bar before. There's nothing unique about that. So um, so Matt Norlander is not with us, um, but he will be with us starting uh, next week. And so that's the new podcast schedule. Essentially, it'll be a Monday morning podcast and what amounts to a Friday morning podcast uh, by the time we get it posted uh, late on Thursday night. Either way, here's what I wanted to start with. Um, In the preseason, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that when we were talking about on one of these podcasts, you know, sort of breaking down the power conferences, we thought that among the power conferences, the one that seemed the easiest to project the champion was the Pac-12. We just thought it was sort of Arizona and everybody else. I'm curious, it's January 8th now. Do we still think it's Arizona and everybody else? Or are we even sure that Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12? Well, I do think Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12. I'll say that. But, man, Utah's really closing in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their defense is incredible. Like, we really thought that Arizona was going to hang their hat on their defense this year. And that's how they were going to win the league. I think Utah might have a better defense. And that's just crazy to think about. It's because they have all of those great perimeter defenders. And it starts with uh, DeLon Wright. He's just a menace everywhere that guards one through three. And then they have the two seven footers inside and Jakob Pertle and uh, Dolan Bachinski who protect the rim and make it so hard for teams to finish at the rim and even get easy shots once you get into the paint. So whenever you have that kind of combination in college basketball, it's going to be awfully difficult to score. Yeah, they play for the first time on January 17th. That's going to be uh, in Tucson. But um, I was just sort of thinking about this last night as I was watching in the CBS Sports Network studios, Utah just run Colorado completely off the court, that um, the league that seemed most obvious to pick might not be so obvious anymore. In fact, we thought it was more obvious that Arizona would win the Pac-12 than we even thought it was that Kentucky would win the SEC once upon a time. Yeah, or Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Or Wisconsin sure. in the Big Ten because we said, okay, like Wisconsin's still got to deal with Michigan and Michigan State and whoever else you might have thought might be good there. And Kentucky was going to have to deal with Florida. People maybe not remember this now, but Florida was a preseason top ten team. So 
Yeah. Um, there were no other preseason top 10 teams in the Pac-12. It was just Arizona and then everybody else. But, um, I, I, yeah, if you asked me to project the champion, I guess I'd still project Arizona. But, man, Utah looks really, really good. And they do, they do seem to be a, um, a, a threat, not only to make the NCAA tournament and advance in the NCAA tournament, but maybe cut down nets for the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, you know, I had to do that Pac-12 reset earlier this week, and that was the exact point that I made. I was, I'm kind of still shocked that Utah is this good. I kind of thought it was just going to be DeLon Wright and a bunch of other guys, but those other guys have filled their roles just incredibly. You have Brandon Taylor stretching the floor. You have, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Ray is physical inside. You have, like I said, Pirtle and Pachinski inside, and Pirtle's the guy who really, really stepped up. Like, he became a perfect partner in the pick and roll for Wright to really play off of. And he gets offensive rebounds. He controls the defensive glass. He makes everyone's life so much easier just by his sheer massive physical presence. Um, so since we last talked on Monday morning, Kentucky has been taken to overtime by Ole Miss. Um, Duke has been played to the final three minutes, basically by Wake Forest and Virginia was actually pushed at home, for a little while at least, by NC State. Uh, those are our three undefeated teams remaining at the Division One level. Those are the teams ranked 1, 2, and 3. I'm curious, do you have any different opinion about Kentucky, Duke, or Virginia than you did Monday morning? Or do you just chalk this up as, hey, this is college basketball, even the great teams get tested every once in a while? Yeah, I, I don't think I do have a different opinion of any of them. You know, Kentucky ran into an insanely hot Ole Miss team that just shot the lights out. Like some of the shots that Snoop White and uh, Stephen Moody were making were just unbelievable. Like I couldn't actually believe that what I was seeing was happening. Um, and then they came in with a really good game plan, but you also it also showed that you have to get incredibly lucky just to stay with Kentucky on that offensive end. Um, Duke, Duke ran into a Wake Forest team that might be a little bit better than we thought it was. You know, Devin Thomas against both Louisville and Duke now has just been dominant in the second half against both teams. And I wonder if that's more of a thing of Wake Forest getting better and Danny Manning really getting those guys around. So I'm not really worried about Duke. And I, like, I don't think Virginia is really a threat to go undefeated the rest of the way, you know. So they played a tough Miami team on the road. Uh, yeah, I'm just not worried. What do you think? I'm not worried either about any of those teams, really. I yeah. think they're all great. I think, I mean, I I think Kentucky's great for a more obvious reason. Tons of players. Duke's great for a more obvious reason. Then Virginia, I'm talking about. Like, Virginia's great because they have really built something nice there, and Tony seems to be terrific. Um, it's a little easier to make sense of Duke being great. They have three, maybe three lottery picks, certainly the number one right. pick in the draft. It's a little easier to figure out Kentucky. Virginia's the one that, and keep in mind, this isn't just me saying this. This is Tony Bennett telling me. He's like, listen, we're, I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I'm overly paraphrasing. But, uh, you know, when I talked to Tony a couple of weeks ago, he said, we're good and we can play really, really well. But the idea that you or anybody would put us in a, group with Kentucky and Duke seems a little crazy to me. That was his sort of message. And it didn't come off like like typical coach speak. It it came off genuine, like, hey, I appreciate where we're ranked. I really like my guys, but I don't have Jalil Okafor and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow and Willie Cauley-Stein and the Harrisons and so on and so forth. Um, but I think more than anything, this is sort of what just happens in college basketball. And mm -hmm. it's easy to forget it wasn't too long ago 
where we didn't react to everything in real time. You know, Twitter didn't exist once upon a time, as crazy yeah. as that seems to believe right now. And so um, I, I used to always say, you know, because I think, when, when did Twitter come? Like late 2008, 2009? Like, is it like... <sighs> I just I, I remember making the point. This is the point. I remember making the point one time that if De if Twitter would have been around when Derrick Rose was a freshman at Memphis, <laughs> people would have. I made this point last year while talking about Andrew Wiggins. Like if Twitter would have been around for the first half of Derrick Rose's freshman year, they would have freaked out, killed him, freaked out. Now I'm aware of this because of where I live, but. So, like, talk radio used to be, to the extent that there could be a place for people to just randomly chime in, basically in real time, or at least within 24 hours of anything, um, talk radio was it, local, local talk radio. And I, I don't know if I was hosting a show then or co-hosting a show then, but I can remember hearing, I, I'm hesitant to say legitimate conversations because it was always stupid, but they were conversations <laughs> that were happening about whether Andre Allen should start at point guard instead of Derrick Rose at Memphis oh my God. on that on that team that played for the national championship. But like that sort of where people were in November December like are we sure this guy is great and um so I, I guess my point is that now with Twitter and now that seemingly the whole world's on Twitter and we sort of live in our own little college basketball worlds on Twitter um, we see everything. And so you watch Kentucky the other night and, you know, listen, they were in overtime. There's no denying that at home against a team that I don't know will be in the NCAA tournament even. And so people probably are like, won't be probably won't be. And people say, oh, well, like, well, this is a sign of this and this is a sign of that. And in reality, it's not a good look to be taken to overtime at home by Ole Miss. I, I'm not trying to spin it otherwise. But Ole Miss basically shot 50% from the field, 50% from three, and 85% from the free throw line and still couldn't get it done. And, yeah. and, and so I, I think that's pretty impressive that somebody can shoot that well against you and still not beat you because I, I this might not even be a stretch. Maybe nobody the rest of the year shoots that well against Kentucky. I don't think that anyone will shoot that well against right. Kentucky this so year, especially, especially from two-point range. Right. So if you can't get them when you shoot like that, who's going to get them? Now, I'm still not predicting a perfect record. But I still think they're the best team in the country. I still think they've got a realistic shot to go undefeated. And I went back and even looked at the 2012 Kentucky team that won the national championship that is undeniably great. They only took two losses. Um, it's the Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist, that team. And they played 16 SEC games, and five of them were decided by single digits. So even they were tested you don't remember it because the season's long and you just think big picture once you're several years removed from it. But, you know, in real time, there were moments where I, I imagine if we could figure out a way to go back and check on Twitter, there were people going, I don't know about this Anthony Davis team. I don't know about this Kentucky team. Turns out they were great. And I suspect that's what the um, long-term opinion will be about these guys as well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I know that uh, Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News, like, Kind of, he kind of thought that Ole Miss made a blueprint to beat Kentucky a little bit. Like you play zone, you come in with just sheer confidence and don't worry about anything around you. And you know what? I'm sure a lot of teams are going to do that, but you can't really game plan for shooting 50% from three, 50% <laughs> right. from two point range, and 100% from the three or free throw line. Like that's just not realistic. You gave up. Like we think that Ole Miss played pretty decent defense against Kentucky, right? With that zone, sure. They still gave up 1.2 points per possession. Right. Like, that's 
a really, really high mark. It, like you, it's just so hard to look at that game and come away with anything, in my opinion, than, oh, well, Ole Miss really gave it to him, really gave him a tough game, but I don't really think that says anything about Kentucky. I'm with you. What I will yeah. think that this says about Kentucky in another way is that if they're going to get slipped up a little bit, I think it's going to be in a game like Ole Miss where they yeah. might not come in like super hyped up. They're coming off maybe a little bit of a layover. Those are the games where I think you might get them, but I don't think you're going to get Kentucky in a game like where they're hyped up. Like for Florida this year, I bet they're pretty hyped up for Florida this year, just based on last year. Right. And, and like, I don't like, I thought I read the same uh, column from Mike that, that you read. I, and I thought it was good because it did point out some, you know, uh, some, some interesting things from a purely basketball perspective about things that Andy Kennedy mm-hmm. was doing and Ole Miss was doing. I thought it was really well done. Right. But, yeah. but like we can draw up game plans you know, like I, I, I imagine we could we could pull a defensive coordinator or seven, get them into a room and and say, okay, listen, let's figure out the best way to stop Oregon, and mm-hmm. and then Oregon would come out and put out put fifty points on you. Like just because you have the proper game plan doesn't mean doesn't mean anything other than you've got the proper game plan. Now let's go out and lose. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the whole the sort of the famous Mike Tyson quote. You know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Um, yeah, exactly. And so I did think, as we sit there and watch the the past few nights, the top three teams in the country all get tested to different levels. Um, I still even, even Purdue tested Wisconsin a little bit last night. Yeah, yeah, right. So there's the top four teams in the country. I still walk away going, certainly with, with Kentucky and Duke, I there's I don't feel any differently about them today uh, than I felt on uh, before those games uh, happened. Meantime, uh, Illinois beat uh, Maryland uh, at home, but without Ravante Rice. For people who aren't familiar, he's their best player, Illinois's best player. Uh, broke his left hand in a practice on Tuesday. I guess it was Tuesday. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, uh, no, it was practice on Monday. Broke it. Uh, broke it at the end of practice on Monday, uh, reported it on Tuesday, had surgery on Wednesday. And then so Illinois is playing the number 11 team in the country without its best player. And then they win the game. And I, they got out to a pretty big lead, too. Right. Like they, were, they were rolling for a while. Does it say more about Illinois and John Gross or more about Maryland? I think that it actually might say a little bit more about Illinois, to be honest. Um, they had Malcolm Hill really right. step up. I'm a really, really big fan of Malcolm Hill. He's like a six foot six long uh, wingman that's really taken over. He's a really smooth player, plays both ends. I think that he's going to kind of morph into their guy without Ray Rice around. But, you know, like we were just talking about earlier, John Gross really came in with a strong game plan, it seemed like. he, Like, I don't think that let me check on this but i don't think maryland made a ton of threes did they oh no they went nine of 21 for three actually it was the interior defense of nana egwu that really really killed them it seemed like and whenever you have a guy like nana egwu who can you know do what he does hedging the perimeter like he does against the big guards like mellow trimble and des wells that's gonna make a lot of problems for you especially for a perimeter oriented team I just thought it was interesting because, you know, when I reported the news on Tuesday, it's devastating news for Illinois fans. I mean, that's the best play. Like, take the best play yeah. off any team. It's a hell of a thing to have to hear. And they were like, ah, here we go again. Ah, the season's over. And listen, whatever the ceiling was for Illinois, it's undeniably lowered without Ravante Rice. We don't, have, we don't have to lie to each other. But at least for a night, 
um, they pulled it together. And uh, I don't know, it was a neat scene to see, because it's just, I'm always a little sympathetic to the extent I can be sympathetic toward millionaire coaches. Like <laughs> your careers are often decided by this kind of crap, you know, yeah. like, like um, you lose your best player to an injury. You don't make the tournament. You miss on a recruit somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's it, something that's been happening with John Gross right. a lot recently. The Carlton Bragg thing today, right. uh, Bragg's coach said that no one recruited him harder than John Gross in Illinois. Right. And so, so he's now missed on him. He's missed on Cliff Alexander. He's right. missed on a few others. You really feel bad for what Gross has gone through. It's been pretty unlucky for him, actually. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's exactly my point. Like, yep. there are guys' careers who are dictated sometimes by just unfortunate moments. Um, you know, I don't know whether Matt Doherty was ever going to be great at North Carolina or whatever. <laughs> but I will tell you that um, if you go back and look at his last year at North Carolina, you know, his whole team got hurt. I think Sean May was hurt and like, you know, what happens if he has a healthy, whatever his roster was, what happens if that roster is healthy? Even if he was, you know, a tyrant running around the athletic department, <laughs> which was maybe the reputation. Um, maybe if you have a healthy North Carolina roster that eventually won a national championship for Roy Williams, um, you win so much that it doesn't matter how you act around the, you know, and like you just look up and wonder like, could his could his career have gone differently? And then you look at John Gross. So in his uh, first year at Illinois, he wins 23 games, goes to the NCAA tournament, uh, misses it in uh, last year. Probably, I think probably going to miss it this year. Um, I don't know. I had them ninth yeah. in my Big Ten reset, so I would have them out right, right. now. But like I th- think they're a really talented team depending on the way it breaks for them. Yeah, but like, I guess my point would be this. Okay, so let's say they don't make it this year. So that's two in a row. And then let's say they like, you know, it just doesn't happen next year. And you look back and you go, you could, I think, reasonably then say you're on the hot seat. But would you be on the hot seat if you would have gotten a commitment from Cliff Alexander, gotten a a commitment from Carlton Bratt, and then uh, maybe Ravante Rice doesn't break his left hand, you know, in a fluky sequence at the end of a Monday practice in January. Like these little bitty things can, can, you know, dictate the way your career goes how many millions you do or do not earn. And I've always thought that's sort of a weird thing. So I hate it when I see coaches, um, you know, struggle because of things that are completely out of their control. And by definition, a a broken left hand of your star player at the end of a Monday afternoon practice is out of your control. So I I guess my point is it was just sort of neat to see that moment last night with John Gross and his arms in the air after, you know, a day in which he had to hear that his star player is gone probably for six weeks. Uh, at least briefly, things were okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Even if one of those things that you mentioned happens, Bragg, Alexander, Rice, if one of those things happens, I think that he has a totally different career, let alone if all three of those things happen, like you said. If, like, if a confluence of events happens and he gets all of those things, then he's probably one of the 10 best coaches in the NBA <laughs> right now, if you think about it. You like, uh, you know, it's always funny. You ever want to hear more stories exactly like the, the hypothetical one I just told? Go talk literally to any coach who's ever been fired. <laughs> they they have it. They can all, If you can say, hey, so what could have happened differently? They'll say, you know what? If I'd have got this recruit and this kid wouldn't have got hurt and this some and we, you know, we were we played seven different games that were decided by one possession. And if these three would have, then I'd have made the tournament there. And boom, 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 boom. Every one of them has a story where they can point out like four or five things. And if these four or five things would have just gone the other way, uh, they'd still be employed and 
probably in the Hall of Fame. It's it's. Uh, I'm not even saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that that's how fine of a line it can be sometimes uh, between being a successful high major coach and relatively speaking, an unsuccessful uh, high major coach. Remember, today's I Own College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with the Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates, and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website so your content will look great on every device every time. To start a free trial, and there's no credit card required, uh, you can get to building your website today at squarespace.com. And when you do that, make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast at Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Okay, so we let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace. You mentioned Carlton Bragg today. Uh, he was down to Kansas, Kentucky, and Illinois. He ultimately picked Kansas. Five-star recruit for people who don't know. Picked Kansas, but but... But while actually saying he picked Kentucky, it was a really awkward situation. He said, I'm committing to the University of Kentucky while putting on a Kansas hat. So it's like, whoa. Now, he corrected himself pretty quickly and said, going to Kansas, and he put his hands over his face. We've seen this pump fake stuff before, most recently, I think, with Cliff Alexander when he mm-hmm. uh, committed to Kansas over Illinois. Um, did this? The, I, I watched the video, um, and it's posted at CBSSports.com that anybody wants to see it. It seemed like genuinely unintentional. Did you take it as unintentional? Yeah, I, w- I was watching it live. They actually had him like go back up right. and like recreate the moment for himself and like firmly say, Can't. "Oh, if we could all do that in our lives, absolutely." Um, but no, I think he's like a firm Kansas recruit. It seems like I, I just feel really, really bad for him. Like <laughs> that's that's what, probably the most important decision that he's made in his life yet as a 19-year-old kid, and he has the internet on his ass a little bit right now. <laughs> I, I just feel terrible. <laughs> of course, this is uh, the, the always the possible downside of throwing ni- you know, 18- and 19-year-olds lie on live television uh, yeah. to, to, to have these moments. It's, it's still a little weird thing to, you know, although, let, listen, there's an audience for it, so I get it. If I ran a television network, I'd be doing the exact <laughs> same thing. But um, I've, always, uh, I've always found it to be a little odd, the whole put these kids on national television and, and make a whole spectacle of the deal. But um, one, thing, Bra- yeah, wait, one thing that I had thought about though, is what if he had accidentally said Illinois making it then two consecutive years? That's oh, Illinois. Yeah. How terrible would that have no, been? And like where this one, again, I, it seemed to me to be like genuinely just an accident. He just got mixed up mm-hmm. and said the wrong thing. The Cliff Alexander thing was, I thought that was a bad look, man, because these guys, I say these guys, these coaches, you know, they're well compensated and whatever, but they mm-hmm. they spend significant parts of their lives chasing you and wooing you and pursuing you. And at the end of it, you know, it's heartbreaking for these coaches. Yeah. Not only because it, it, it can ultimately not 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 only can it, but it often does lead to just something you chalk up as a massive waste of time. But it's also, you know, it, it can sort of wrap this back around to where we were talking a minute ago. It can be what what dictates the rest of your life. Like, what are you going to be doing in three years, five years, ten years? How much money are you going to make? Are you going to be a fired coach or a Hall of Fame coach? It is determined more by, you know, by this more than anything else, recruiting successes and, 
and failures. And to in this moment where you've got, I guess in the Cliff Alexander situation, um, a Bill Self and a John Gross both sitting there waiting to 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 toy with those emotions in that way. I thought that listen, he's a kid, and so you chalk it up to being a kid. But I've, I'm not a I'm not a fan of 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 that of pump thinking coaches and toying with forget the fans because fans are whatever. But the guys, coaches and assistants who have genuinely spent hours and days and weeks and months of their and years of their lives pursuing you. I, I thought that Cliff Alexander one was a bad look. Yeah, no, like like you said, I I'm someone who's younger, like obviously a younger person, like in my twenties. I'm someone who probably thought, you know, it's a kid being a kid. Like, I feel bad. He really should add someone in his corner, though. Tell him this is stupid. This is disrespectful. You should not do it. Right. Yeah. You know, like I never blame the kid. I blame the people around the kid because somebody should be there should like I have an 11 year old. He's kind of, you know, he can be very much an 11 year old at times. So it's my job to say, hey, cut that out. Hey, you know, make sure you're respectful. Hey, make sure you look so-and-so in the eye. Hey, make sure you tell them thank you. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it wasn't Cliff Alexander's fault as much as it was like some adult should have stepped in and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to handle this with class because you're about to forget the thousands and thousands of fans who you're about to depress. Um, there, there is this one man in particular who has spent years of his life trying to get you and you're about to, to disappoint him in a pretty pretty um spectacular way and public way at least handle it with as much class as you can yeah no i'm totally with you but going back to the brag thing actually i want to go on a little bit of tangent about this what what do you think of kansas right now generally because they're probably the team in the top 15 20 that i have no idea where to put them well i I haven't all year that's probably been the team that like i've been a little bit more down on than anyone but now they have They've beaten Baylor in a game where it looked a little bit ugly. Like their last few wins have been like kind of terrible and it's been surrounded by that temple loss. So where, where are you with them right now? I, I think it is odd to have a team that is a consensus top 15 team that a lot of people think can make the final four that has so many pros and that is probably the favorite to win a power conference who also before the new year has two 25 point losses. All right. Like I don't like, that's a pretty rare combination of things. Like it's not rare for a team to have two 25 point losses. It's rare for a team that some people think can go to the final four and win the big 12 to have two 25 point losses. And so one of them was Kentucky. I guess you could just chalk that up to it's against Kentucky, but how do you lose to temple by 25? Like I'll, I'll like temple temples good, but they, temple shouldn't beat any like temple probably shouldn't beat anybody by 25. Right? No, like, like there, there are very few teams in the very, very, very down AAC this year that Temple could realistically beat by 25. Right. And then, and then like, you know, Kansas, the 76 61 final against UNLV looks good. That wasn't a great performance. It was no, great, they, they was, put that out of the question with like four minutes left. Right. They were like tied until like the last seven minutes. Now, I, I'm a little different here with, um, I thought, I think any road win at a team like, like, I know Baylor has this sort of thing attached to them, but like that's a pretty good Baylor team. I, I think to go to Baylor and get a win, even if it's by a point and you had to come from behind, like that's a win. You take it. And so um, we got into this a little bit last night on Inside College Basketball. It was me, Adam Zucker, Pete Gillen, and, and Martin Cleves. And um, Coach Gillen said he thinks West Virginia is going to win the Big 12. I just I'm sticking with Kansas until it's not Kansas. And I think we could talk ourselves into – uh, different teams over the past 
you know, month or so, Texas being the most obvious. But what do you do with Texas after they just, you know, lost by a bazillion at Oklahoma? And though I really do like this Oklahoma team, you know, they've lost to Creighton and Washington. So, um, and it has no bench. Right. So whatever whatever Kansas's problems are, and they do have problems, they have issues, they're not a perfect basketball team, but everybody else in the Big 12 has similar or worse problems. So I'm just going to continue to pick Kansas to win the Big 12 until we look up and we go, they did. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's, that's really where I am. The, that's probably the safest route. I mean, they yeah, every time somebody asks, every time somebody asks me, I'm just going to say Kansas until, and then if I have to, like, first week of March, say, you know what, I had that pick wrong, then I'll, I'll, I'll admit it then. But for mm-hmm. now, I'm still going to take the team with the, well, you tell me that. I said this last night on TV, and you, correct me if it's wrong. Do they still have the most talented roster in the league? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Probably. I I mean, it depends on what you're going to get out of Cliff Alexander the rest of the year, because if they don't have that physical presence inside, I think that it's probably Texas. But with the assumption that Alexander continues to grow like he has been over the last few games, I would say it's still Kansas by a hair. On that note, um, can you believe that people in the preseason were trying to argue Okafor and Alexander? Oh, no, that that was even someone like I was as high on Cliff Alexander as anyone like you and Norlander gave me incredible amounts of shit. For it. <laughs> right. I like and I like Cliff Alexander. I just thought even I was not that high. Like I yeah. was even not saying Okafor versus Alexander. Like, oh, it was, I, oh, I had people on Twitter when I when I, you know, I did the whole Jaleel Okafor preseason national player of the year. They were like, he's not even as good as Cliff Alexander. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, listen, I like Cliff Alexander. But Okafor and Alexander, they ain't even on the same level of player, prospect, any of that stuff, as far as I'm concerned. And it turns out at least um, that's one thing I, I think I'm right about so far. So, okay, if you agree with me in theory that Kansas has the best roster, do they still also have the most accomplished coach? Probably, right? Accomplished, yeah, I would yeah. say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, can... hey, I mean, that's that's the way you have to judge coaches, right? right? By accomplishments in recruiting. Right. I mean, I, I still like Fred Hoiberg a ton as oh, far yeah, as yeah, fair. coach, but fair. I mean, you still have to revert to Bill Self, right? right? I think so. And so I guess my point is this, why would I pick against the most accomplished coach with the best roster? Yeah. Like this team, I don't get them. <laughs> like they beat that talented Utah team. We talked about at the top. They beat Utah. Like right. they won that game. I don't understand where I, I don't know what to think of this Kansas team. They have, I don't. I think part of it is that Wayne Selden hasn't really taken a step forward. Uh, Alexander hasn't really taken the step forward. Like they they've gotten very little out of Devontae Graham because he's been hurt. But like Perry Ellis has been what Perry Ellis does. Even Svi, it seems like took a little bit of a step back from those first like early games, right? It, I will tell you this. I was in. I was at the Champions with Kansas, and then I was at the Orlando Classic with Kansas. I spent a lot of time with that coaching staff and they at that time they thought they thought Svee was the not only their primary wing but maybe their best prospect and it's just interesting how much everything about that Kansas team has changed in like mm-hmm. a month like yeah every- because Kelly Oubre is I looked it up he's at 13 and 8 over his last five games I think it is and I'm really happy about so, that yeah. like you know I I uh, you know, I'm the guy that wrote the column and brought brought a lot of the attention to, hey, Ubre is buried on this bench right now. And whether that's right or wrong, I didn't really care. It, I wasn't concerned with whether it was right or wrong. I don't even know that I'm qualified to 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 suggest whether it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I found interesting is that it is it is rare to have a prospect of his caliber buried on a college bench. And so, on one hand, 
I thought it was definitely worth writing about and talking about, if only because it was so uncommon. On the other hand, there is a part of me that goes, that's an 18-year-old kid who probably is already getting beat up from every direction about what's going on at Kansas, and here I am writing about, you know, bringing even more attention to it, while recognizing that's my job. But there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, I don't, like, life's hard enough probably for that kid without having a national column you know, yeah. saying, hey, what's wrong with this dude? You know, like, I'm 37 years old. And if there was some sort of, you know, like, and there has been, like, there, you know, if I'm critiqued publicly, like some column I write, you know, like that bothers me. Even when I can look at it and go, yeah, I see their point. You know, like, I, I, I really don't like that column now that I'm looking at it either. Um, it still, like, sticks with me. And I'm, like, supposed mm-hmm. to be a mature adult, who, you know, like, so imagine what it's like, must be like for an 18 year old. So I'm, like, really, uh, pleased that Kelly has, has been able to turn this around and become a relevant player because um, I imagine that must be tough when you have been great your whole life and people expect you to be great and then you not only aren't you great but you aren't even playing. I, I imagine that must be tough to wear, uh, you know, tough to deal with on social media in your own personal life. So it's been neat to watch Ubre. But uh, you know, back to the initial point, um, if you look at the guys who are considered key players right now as opposed to the guys that were key players around Thanksgiving, it's kind of a different cast of characters. I mean, Frank Mason's still there, mm-hmm. Perry Ellis is still there, but it's it's kind of like Ubre's now playing a lot, Speed's not playing nearly as much. It's it's interesting the way this team is unfolding, and I wonder if Bill's still trying to figure out exactly what he has. Yeah, I kind of get that impression too, because you can kind of tell that it seems like, I think Cliff Alexander got nicked up a little bit. I think that I read on Twitter, had like people tell me on Twitter, that it was either a shoulder or a shin or something that uh, he, he had been like nursing an injury and still playing through it. Um, and that, that was why he started that one game and then started coming off the bench afterwards. Um, but it does seem like he kind of does want to play cliff a little bit more. Don't you think like he kind of wants to keep going in that direction and he wants to keep like getting Wayne Selden involved a little bit more than he has been even though like Frank Mason has taken over this team and he might be the most improved player in the country, in my opinion, it's crazy. Yeah. But I think, you know, Bill's smart enough to know and any coach who's ever dealt with talented rosters before and won national championships or competed for national championships. Like you look across at that Duke team, you look across that Kentucky team. Like if you're trying to do something special and at Kansas every year, you ought to, (laughs) you ain't beaten you know, Duke and the Dukes and the Kentuckys with Jamari Trailer. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, you've got, to, you've got to figure out a way to get your most talented guys to be your most important guys. That's the only – like, at Duke, their most talented guys are their most important guys. I mean, Quinn Cook's been great, but by and large, that's Jalil. You know, uh, Justice Winslow was terrific against uh, Wake Forest. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Tyus is running things. By and large, at Duke, the most talented guys are the most important guys. And if you're right. ever going to, you know, I, I think this is pretty easy to figure out. If you're going to maximize what your team can be, the only way to maximize it is to have your most talented guys be on the court and be the most important players. And for Kansas, that means Cliff Alexander has got to be one of your most important players. Yeah, and I think that, I think he's getting there. He's still struggling to finish a little bit, it seems like, for whatever reason. I think he's still just trying to adjust to playing against length. I mean, that, that happens for kids that are six, eight, six, nine going up against centers now in college basketball. And I think that once that happens, he'll start to be a little bit more of an efficient player. Let me ask you about this. So a couple of days ago, Memphis suspended Karan Iverson for a violation of team rules for people who don't know. He's a sophomore, former top 30 recruit from Hartford. Um, guy who had always sort of been 
labeled as someone who can't tap into his talent, but when you're a program like Memphis, you you, you roll the dice on him and you enroll him and you hope for the best. Problem, of course, is that the best has never arrived, and he was suspended for uh, all they said was uh, the Texas trip, uh, which is um, a game at SMU followed by, um, I guess it's a game at Houston. So then uh, somebody on Twitter tweets at Jason Smith, who's the beat writer at the Commercial Appeal. Um, Josh Pastner is, just uses players as scapegoats to cover up for his lack of coaching ability. Stop the fraud. Something like that. And, yeah. and Karan Iverson retweeted it and favored it. <laughs> Have you ever seen a player... On, like, listen, we live on Twitter and we follow the sport. Can you remember another like this happening to another coach? Uh, I can give you a pretty good example of that, actually. Uh, I think that most people that follow me on Twitter know I'm a graduate of Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And recently, Braxton Miller, uh, someone said, like, favorite if you think Ohio State's going to win and retweet if you think Oregon's going to win the national title or something like that. And he hit the Oregon button. So everyone and there are like a bunch of rumors that he's transferring to Oregon before that. So everyone's just like totally freaked out now. And. It's crazy. Oh, well, I didn't even know. So is it possible that like, he did that on accident or he he never deleted it or whatever? Well, the rumors are that the rumors floating around Ohio State right now and who the hell knows, like no one actually knows anything, I don't think, um, is that Braxton Miller's probably going to transfer. Sure. The the year. He's a graduate transfer. He wants I would, to you here. ain't playing in front of 12 gauge. I would. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and uh, His nickname is what 12 Urban gauge. Is. You know how much money I lost on 12 gauge? <laughs> My God, 12 gauge cost me. I can't even tell you how much money 12 gauge cost me. 12 gauge is fantastic. It's such a good nickname, too, for the Cardale best. Jones. It's the best. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know if he's going to go or not. But that's like a similar ish example. Yeah, that's interesting. Iverson. But he's also didn't trash Urban Meyer either. Right. right. Like, Kern Iverson seems like he's going in that boat. Like, you don't think he's ever going to play for Memphis again, do you? I was told he's never going to play for Memphis again. Now, you know, things can change. But, you know, when I started making phone calls, on Wednesday, after Karan Iverson had retweeted and favorited Stop, stop the Fraud, <laughs> um, Josh Pastor, who uses kids as a scapegoat to cover up for his lack of coaching ability, um, I was told um, if he had any chance of ever playing at Memphis again, that chance was now gone. And so um, I, I, I think it, that, that whole story is interesting on a couple of different levels. One... <laughs> The idea that he's a scapegoat is like Karan Iverson, just like, or that he's being used as a scapegoat, that's just silly. Like, he's a non existent player. He's not a. I'm not going to lie to you. I had no idea he was a top 30 recruit. Yeah, no. He's, yeah. Well, how about this? So, the first time I ever saw him, I was at, uh, I, I don't, maybe Global Games or some, it was some sort of international Nike event. <laughs> and it was uh, in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of DC, obviously. And so I was there and. Honestly, like, I don't know. I know Bobby Portis was there, but, like, I go into these the summer, I basically know the top 10, 15, maybe 20 guys in the country, and, and that's it. I don't need to know the other guys. I just, you know, so, and, I, and that's the way I spend my summers. I, I, don't, I don't go and try to see everybody. I go and try to see John Wall 100 times, you know, or, or Jolly Okafor 100 times. I want to see the best of the best as much as possible because those are the ones that are going to be immediately relevant to what I do. And so I was at one of these, um, you know, this Nike event, and there's this kid out there, like six eight, and he's like, he's just balling out. And I was sitting with one of the, you know, the recruiting guys, whether it was Evan Daniels or you know uh, Jerry Meyer or whoever. And I was like, my God, who is that? 
And they said, uh, Karate Iverson. I said, where's he ranked? And they were like, ah, 30s or 40s. And I was like, what? I was like, listen, I'm not a recruiting analyst, but there is no way in the world there's 30 dudes better than that kid right there. I watched him for like a half. And they said, no, you're right. There's nobody better than that kid you've just watched for this half. But he won't do that again for three weeks. Like the, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and that is, that's his story. Like He has all the talent in the world that, that makes you intrigued, but he's never tapped into it. So he doesn't please but he was spent most of, not most, but uh, uh, too, mu- too, uh, too much of last year suspended. And then he's obviously been suspended this year. And um, he's a non-existent player. So the idea that he's a scapegoat just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't think he understands what scapegoat is. If there's, if there's a scapegoat on the team, it's been Kedron Johnson because Josh Pastner has consistently said, you know, if, if you know, I thought I recruited an all-SCC point guard to run my team and he's not playing like an all-SCC point guard and so there's our problem. So Kedron Johnson might actually be a scapegoat, but not Karan Iverson. But, and I wonder how this plays um, from a distance. Uh, it... it the sentiment of trying to cover up for a lack of coaching ability, that's not unique to Karan Iverson or the person who tweeted it or anybody else. Like, that is a pretty common opinion in the city of Memphis. Um, and- it's a common opinion outside of Memphis, too. I actually have had multiple people ask me, if, oh, do you think that Pastner is going to last the year if they don't make the tournament? I'm just like, I mean, he... Is he's done? He's pretty damn successful. He's been like, a four straight NCAA tournaments. Um, yeah, like I, yeah. I can't see a circumstance where they get rid of him. Neither can I. Um, I, 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 it's bad. It's bad. But I don't think. If I mean, I've I've been told there, there's no scenario under which they would get rid of him after this season. Yeah. Um, if only. Because Nor should they. They, they owe him like eight million dollars. So like, um, the only dude connected to Memphis that can write a check like that's Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, and he. I don't know that he cares enough about basketball to write that check for that. So, um, I <laughs> Here's think the thing, like, I don't think they should though either. Yeah, right. They should not get rid of Josh Passner. Like, right. Even if you think he is in the bottom hundred coaches right. of college basketball as far as like sure sheer tactical ability and X's and O's. He's still bringing in guys like Austin Nichols, who was like a four slash five star guy, right? Sure. Yeah. But he's yeah, still yeah. bringing in the high end talent. Like he is like th- that can cover up for an awful lot of whatever you think are p- perceived downfalls. With right. Coaching. I just wonder if you ever get labeled the way he's labeled right now. And it, it is, it is at an all time. I guess it's always kind of been there, but it's at an all time high now. Yeah, between the loss early in the season to Christian Brothers, right? And all then that stuff. I just all wonder. This, and yeah. I, t- I talked to Darren Horn. Um, I had Darren Horn on my radio show earlier, and you know, former Western Kentucky coach, South Carolina coach, now an analyst with ESPN. And I and I was talking to him about this. I said, once it turns on you, to the extent that you have players publicly questioning you, former players publicly questioning you, and your own fans turning on you, how do you get that back? How do you turn it? the other direction. And Darren, like quite simply said, I don't think you can. Like it's, 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 it's very difficult to do to once it, once everything turns on you in this sport at a, at a, with a passionate fan base, it can be difficult to turn around. He said, Rick Barnes might be an example of somebody who has, but it, it's still a very rare thing. And and I, I just wondered, like, do you agree with that? That it's very difficult. Once it turns to this degree, it's hard to get it turned back. It's absolutely hard to get it turned back. Darren's absolutely right on that. I, I like we've seen examples of it though recently, like you alluded to with Rick Barnes. That's a good example. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I can't really like think of one off the top of my head. I mean, Mark Turgeon right now at Maryland, yeah, he's kind of turning right that around. Right. 
um, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. Like we've seen a lot of guys this year specifically turn it around, but Darren's absolutely right. It's a hell yeah, last difficult thing to do. Yeah, I, I I think that's probably true. Last thing before uh, we get out of here, Syracuse won its fifth straight on Wednesday night at Georgia Tech. Uh, winning five in a row is better than losing five in a row. But, uh, <laughs> you know, is is Syracuse – this question was presented to me last night um, on Inside College Basketball. Has Syracuse figured it out? I'll ask you. Has Syracuse figured anything out? I don't I don't think so. Like yeah. they've beaten they beat Colgate, Long Beach State, Cornell, Virginia Tech, and that's a really bad Virginia Tech team. Right. And Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is a pretty good win on the road. But as long as you have a point guard in Caleb Joseph with a thirty one point four turnover rate, right. I think that you're gonna have a lot of problems because I legitimately think that's the highest turnover rate I've ever seen <laughs> a high major starting point guard. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, and it'd be one thing if you were getting ready to go play in some different league, but like you get, you're playing ACC basketball, you're going to get yeah. eat up a little bit. There's some bo- there's some garbage at the bottom that maybe you can get, but um... and here's the other thing too. I actually noticed that as well. I, I wrote something back a little bit ago. Um, it was probably a night court thing about how Syracuse is probably going to go on like a pretty good run here. Like they're probably going to get out to six or seven to zero in the ACC because they have Florida state, Wake Forest, Clemson, Boston college, and then a home game against Miami. So they're probably going to be six and one probably like that seems right. 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 Yeah. Something like that. I mean, if you're assuming they're not going to slip up and lose when they shouldn't. Right. But all uh, four of those games are at home. Right. Yeah. Or five of them, maybe. So yeah. like you would think that they're probably going to win all of those home games and you're really going to start to hear about how Syracuse has turned it around. And then the schedule just goes to hell at the end of the season. <laughs> right. They have Duke, Louisville, Pitt, Notre Dame, Duke, Virginia. Uh, yeah, and it, like good luck, right? So, I mean, we've got some pretty like high-level guys who are you know, trying to figure stuff out with their teams, whether it's John Beeline, Tom Izzo, yeah. Billy Donovan, although they won at South Carolina, that's good. Still, Billy's got a, a, a team that's got a record that he ain't used to having. And then uh, the other example, of course, Jim Beheim up at, at Syracuse. It'll be interesting to see how those uh, seasons unfold. All right, well, I've kept you here long enough. i kept everybody here long enough, so let's get out of here. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Sam, to being here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast at iTunes. It's the quickest way to make sure you get your hands on the latest edition. So make sure to do that. And either way, uh, we will talk again on Monday. Take care.